0: This is Purple Radio On Demand.
1: Hello and welcome to the first Sports Feed conducted live this time. I'm your host Sharpin. Uh, today I'll be joined by Harry Tanner, Robert Morrissey, Ben Fleming and Ella Bicknell when she does join us. Um, we've got a packed show for you today with football, NFL, rugby league, rugby union, boxing, as well as, as a regular feature Ella's Olympics and also any other business. But first, the football news. Let's first talk about Arsenal. They beat Man United 1-0 thanks to an Aubameyang penalty. Who were the key players for Arsenal in this victory, Robert? Uh
2: I think all round it was to be fair it was just a very good performance by Arsenal. I think obviously Aubameyang was causing mayhem all game and he really should have kind of converted earlier on. But it was just a good performance all round from Arsenal. I thought Bayern actually played really well in this game as well, which um kind of getting forward for that cross that Aubameyang should have scored. And Arsenal did play very well. Saka should have scored as well. However, I think this side, this game was more, in my opinion, United's failures than it was Arsenal's success.
1: Now, Paul Pogba gave away the penalty. Ben, do you think this is indicative of his performances for Manchester United? And do you think he'll soon be on his way out of Old Trafford?
3: Um, I, I, honestly, I'm not sure. Uh, I think what we've seen is that he's never really brought his best form to to United um, under any manager that's 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 been there, and I, and I think that's been the case throughout. His I think his, his best times at Juventus, and even um, in the World Cup when he was at United playing playing France, they've, there's there's there seems to be a better understanding when he's not played in that United team. Um, so it's a really weird one. Yeah, obviously he's not at his greatest game. He I thought he played on the other couple of games. I'm I'm more inclined to say that um, there's definitely a manager out there who can get the best of Paul Popper in this United team. I, I think I think it's fair to say he's not been playing his best, but equally well, I think um, if they can keep him and find someone who can get the best out of him, then that's going to be a far better result for Man United.
1: Returning to Arsenal, Harry, they seem to have developed a new defensive structure under Arteta. How key was that in ensuring that they won the game?
0: I think it was vital. Um, Arteta definitely has proved to be a real technician at the, t- at the training ground. His Arsenal team now looks very disciplined, the structure for you know for the full 90 minutes was faultless, really. They were pressing Man United who just couldn't get out, couldn't break through. Um, I think that that was the key for me. I mean, yeah, United shortcomings we can talk about all day, but I think those were enforced by the Arsenal formation positioning. Um, absolutely, I think Arteta seems to be coming out of Pep's shadow now. He uh certainly seems to be you know a very talented coach. I think maybe in the future there'll be more pressure on them to score goals but you know if they're keeping clean sheets you know they've got the best defensive record in the league now which is quite remarkable given Arsenal teams of the past um, but I think yeah one to watch out for Arsenal I think if they can add goals to their game Arteta's structures formations the addition of Gabriel looks like a very promising one um, I think that was definitely a key for them yesterday.
1: See that was the one thing that I thought was missing from the Arsenal performance is that there wasn't much creativity they lack that key pass through midfield, and I really felt they could have done with Sabayas on the pitch.
0: But that well, could have done with Messer or maybe,
1: maybe, yeah. But uh, that's another discussion another day. Um, Man United is now 15th in the table, with just seven points. Robert, how long do you think uh, uh, the Glazers and, and Edward Woodward would give will give Ole time?
2: I'm not sure because it's been very strange with United. Obviously, they've had a lot of lackluster performance, as we said. Paul Pogba's very much, he's not been playing great at all. And that midfield has really struggled to to get hold of any game, really. But earlier in the week, they beat uh, RB Leipzig 5-0 in the Champions League. So it's not like it's all going bad. Like you said, they're 15th and that's a, United should not be languishing down there. But in the Champions League front, they're actually doing quite well. They've beaten PSG, they've beaten Leipzig. So maybe that can just kind of convince the Glazers and Ed Woodward to just hold on to him for a bit longer, give him a bit later. But if we're seeing them, you know, bottom half of the table by Christmas, he has to go, in my opinion.
1: And moving on to Liverpool, despite a strange start to the season, they now find themselves top of the league. Do you think they can continue this momentum and be top at Christmas, Ben?
3: Yeah, I think, um, I think everyone is, in my opinion, putting a bit too much weight on... Um, what was essentially a freak result against Aston Villa I, I think I think yeah their defence isn't looking as good um, and that was even before Van Dyke was 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 injured but I think perhaps a lot of weight and too much weight has been put on that result they're not looking as good but also I don't think a lot of, I don't think there's really one team that's particularly firing you think um, City have been slow um, and not really scoring as fluently. Neither have Arsenal, as we mentioned. Neither have United. So there's really not a lot of teams fully hitting their stride. I think a lot of that is to do with the fact that um, the fact that we had the, the delayed season and teams haven't really been able to uh, to push on um, and and really sort of get back into fitness. But I think I think as the season goes on, um, they will start to find their groove, and I think they'll 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 definitely be topped by Christmas, and they're still the team to beat.
1: Chelsea won 3-0 at Burnley. Do we think that after two consecutive draws, Frank Lampard has unlocked the attacking talents at his disposal? was his performance anomaly, Uh, Harry.
0: I don't think so. I think think Chelsea now looking like a real force to be reckoned with. You know, Frank Lampard was criticised at the beginning of the season and, you know, quite rightfully so. Chelsea's defensive woes continued against Southampton, against West Brom, where they conceded three three goals to both teams in a pretty unconvincing fashion. But, um, you know, now uh, with... Mendy in goal, additions of Chilwell, Thiago Silva. You know, Mendy has only conceded one goal in his first six starts for the club. Um, you know, by comparison, when Kepa was in goal, his last six games for the club, they conceded 14. So I think certainly the addition of uh, Eduard Mendy, Thiago Silva, who's looked imperious at the back since signing from PSG, there are a lot of question marks over him when he arrived. Would he be you know, up to the pace of the Premier League? Very physical, very quick, demanding league. He's looked absolutely commanding at the back. And I think with this newfound defensive solidity, and this new formation that Lampard was playing, he, he went to a little bit last season with N'Golo Kante as the lone sort of number six defensive midfielder and his two attacking number eights in Mason Mount and uh, Kai Havertz. So they look very fluent, very fluid um, against Burnley on the weekend. They look absolutely fantastic, I thought. Some really sumptuous football, nice uh, one-twos, one you know, more triangles than a And I uh, saw someone out there saying, but there's fantastic link-up play between a uh, you know, very impressive attacking lineup. And I think, uh, you know, I know Ben said earlier that he thinks Liverpool is still the team to be. I actually think, uh, you know, on the back of performances like that, if Chelsea can continue that form, I think uh, they might start to uh, move into the conversation.
1: Now, Robert, their opponents Burnley sit bottom with one point. Do you think that the time has finally run out for Sean Dyche's Burnley side or will he turn it around?
2: I'm not sure. So We've seen this uh, a few times in seasons where they've really dipped off, but I do think... Uh, I, I don't know if they'll have kind of the goal to sack him. That would be a lot, given how much he's done. You know, he's brought Burnley from kind of obscurity almost into Europe. So I don't know if they will sack him, but you could see definitely the point being made there. And it wouldn't, it it wouldn't be a strange decision from the owners. And you know, especially with people like Sam Allardyce unemployed, you know, there's always somebody who can rescue you. But no, they have Burnley have just been really poor. And you you watch them and you think, I don't know where they're gonna win. I don't know where they're going to get goals from. and I, I don't know how their, their whole kind of structure of this kind of uh, good defence and then being able to maybe nick a goal or something, just it clearly isn't working. There was an Ashley Barnes chance against Chelsea. And if they score that, which they have to for the way they're trying to play, then maybe it's a different story. But they didn't. He missed. And I think maybe time would be up again, like I said about the other one. Christmas, I think, will be when they'll be looking to see. Maybe then he goes and you get somebody in like Allardyce.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can really see Sean. I really see Burnley struggling this season. They already are, and I think that Sean Dyche's time is starting to run out, despite having a pub named after him um, in Burnley. There, Newcastle beat Everton two one. What Everton lacking the creativity we've become accustomed to seeing them from this season due to the absence of both Richarlison and Rodriguez,
3: uh, Ben? Yeah, it's a it's a weird one. Um, I think I think definitely. Rodriguez um, made a difference i think i think also um, as you see sort of the case with a lot of these teams is they can beat and i think Everton sort of they they're in sort of this this first phase of, of really turning themselves into a, a proper sort of team that could compete in the top 6 is that when teams when teams come at them they've now they've now shown that they've um, you know much in the, in, in, the, in in the Liverpool game when Liverpool come at them they've got the defensive solidity enough with allen with that defence to then get the ball and to break and to do well, I think the second goal, the one that Calvert Lewin scored against Liverpool, that was a good example. of that. I think now for uh, Everton, the uh, the problem and the and the task that Ancelotti's got to do is to make sure that they can they can get past those low blocks, those teams that say, "Okay, Everton, you started the season well. We're just going to sit back as Everton and Steve Bruce loves to do, and say, you know, come get past us." And they couldn't. And and to be fair, Newcastle Road a lot got a another penalty and. Uh, I think I, th- I think I think they were good value for the win, even if they were boring.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with you. I think that uh, Newcastle under with Callum Wilson have really dramatically improved. Um, ben, what do you think about Callum Wilson? Do you think he's a potential England striker material, or is he um, just not at that level?
3: Not for me. Um, I think I think he had he had a couple of he, he made a couple of caps. Or a couple of appearances, uh, two, two or three years ago, um, and I think I think when he got when he got the call up then, I think he was uh, I think he was very much deserving. But I look at I look at all the all the strikers we've got now: um, Rashford, Kane, Ings are just bag, bagging them for fun. Calvert Lewin, um, Tammy Abraham. I think I think I would put ahead of Wilson. There's probably others I've forgotten, but I think I think the move the, the move the move to Newcastle for him is a good move. Obviously, gets him out of the Championship. Um, playing 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 for a big club but uh i think i think his england days are uh, a number to be honest
1: harry southampton beat aston villa 4-3 in a goal fest was the game as close as the as the scoreline suggests
0: no not really um, i mean you know southampton were 4-0 up at one point so uh you know you can make of that what you will um, aston villa well you know, South, southampton really are the, sort of the bubble bursts at the moment you know Burst Everton last week and uh, Aston Villa now. You no, know, I mean Aston Villa. You know, they got their consolation goals at the end. Um, you know, Jack Green. You know, Jack Greenish had that deflected shot uh, and it's ninety plus seventh, I think it was. And uh, you know, Ollie Watkins had a penalty, and that was also in stoppage time. Um, you know, South Southampton look a very good team at the moment. You know, we mentioned it last week. I think Ralph Hasson Huzel is definitely up there as one of the top coaches in this league. They're, they've looked pretty good value recently. I think they'll be disappointed to have conceded those goals later on. I think it did sort of take the shine off what was a you know, an imperious performance from them. But, uh, you know, James Ward-Prowse, I think is probably the main talking point. Two uh, direct free kicks, which were both absolutely sumptuous. They were fantastic strikes. Um, you know, he's uh, probably the premier uh, free kick taker and set-piece specialist in the league now. Um, and we've seen him sort of float around that England conversation. I'll be interested to see if he can uh, build on from that performance yesterday.
1: Let's talk about James Ward-Prowse. He scored two free kick goals for Southampton. I'm going to ask all of you this. Um, is he the king of free kicks in the Premier League? And if not, then who is? Let's go first to you, Ben.
3: Wow, um, put me on the spot here. Um, I, I think, I think, I think. To be honest, it's hard to beat. I'm trying to think of anyone who springs to mind. I reckon, I reckon Alexander Arnold still got a pretty good one in him. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, I think. Actually, for me, I think Kevin De Bruyne because he's got the direct ones, but also what. What you'll often see from him is he's got. He'll have the ones on the sort of the edge of the boxes, and he'll just whip it in with so much pace and power that like it's going in. But then also you've got the addition that if someone touches it and diverts into another part of the goal, it's going to go in. So I think I think James Ward-Prowse, maybe from an England perspective, uh, but I think Kevin De Bruyne for his for his variety as well as his ability to score from uh, from direct.
1: Uh, What about you, uh, uh, Harry? Who do you think is the free kick specialist of the Premier League?
0: You know, I don't think I can fault Ben on uh, on mentioning Kevin De Bruyne and Trent Alexander Arnold. If I had to try and throw another name in, I might go for another Englishman. I think Mason Mount's set piece delivery has really come on leaps and bounds recently. He uh, had a fantastic one on the last day of uh, last season against Wolves, which uh, guaranteed Chelsea the top four. Um, I think you know, his, if we just move slightly, move to set pieces as well, his corner kicks I think were fantastic. He had a brilliant one for Kurt Zuma, just put on put on a dime really for Zuma to nod in uh, on uh, Saturday, but. um yeah, his set piece delivery, I think, is is certainly up there. Um, who else could I throw in there? I mean, no, I think yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty handy one. James Ward-Prowse, I think, has scored you know more direct free kicks than anyone in in recent times. Definitely, um, you know, I know Christian Eriksen has left the league now, but I think he was the last person to score two direct free kicks in one game. But uh, sadly, he's no longer in, in the Premier League. But um, yeah, no, Mason Mount, I think, he'd be my addition to the conversation.
1: And Robert, who's your uh, free kick specialist?
2: To be honest, I think, I think the lads have covered most people who you could say, as a Liverpool fan, I'd love to say Trent, but I, I do think that James Ward-Prowse is more consistent with it. Um, I, I said there's nobody you can really think of that has scored more kind of regularly Um, when it comes to direct free kicks and kind of always in the same way, actually. They're always kind of quite similar free kicks. He's brilliant at taking them. Uh, I do very much take Ben's point, though, of, of De Bruyne, probably with the variety that he can pull off, probably would just edge it for me. But James Ward-Prowse is definitely... I'd I'd say he's definitely better than Mason Mount and Trent. And
1: and finally, and certainly least in my opinion, uh, Tottenham beat Brighton 2-1 with Gareth Bale scoring the winner. Ben, Tottenham move up to second with 14 points. Are they genuine title contenders?
3: I mean, I would love to say so. Um, uh, My my personal team is Charlton stuck in League One, but my... uh, my dad, my dad, and some of my close family, are Spurs fans. So I, I've, I've I've got personal investment. Um, I said I said at the start of the season to my mates that I, I thought I thought Mourinho had something um, in the plans. This was this was before um, Gareth Bale, uh, Regalon um, were brought in. I think I think wait wait wait. Seeing here with the Spurs team that can still play that 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 traditional Mourinho. Part, part, part of the bus for, uh, for lack of any uh, more coherent analysis. But also, you've now got Doherty, Regalon giving you that width. You've got, I think, I think that that front three of Son, Son, Kane, Bale. I'm just going to throw it out there. I, I, I think that all three fully fit. I think that's the best in the Premier League. I think Hoiberg is is a really key piece of that cog, um, and like with with Mourinho, just. Leading them all, I I honestly think. Like, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We're only seven or eight games in, but the signs are, the signs are looking positive. And speaking
1: about Gareth Bale, how key a player could he be for Tottenham, Harry?
0: Well, he certainly has the potential to be a vital part of that team, but um, I think he needs to prove himself on a consistent basis. I think in recent years, you know, he's been hampered by injuries, his, his rows with the Zidane have meant that he's actually not been playing a huge amount of football recently. I think it would take him time to build up that match sharpness and the uh, the fitness that, uh, you know, we, we have grown accustomed to seeing back when he was playing for Spurs at his, at his first spell and, and for Wales often in uh, in international football as well. But, you know, if he can get back to his, his best, um, I mean, absolutely, he'll be a, a fantastic foil to uh, the Kane and Son partnership. He's a great goal scorer. If he can, you know, bring that electric pace back to uh what it was before. I think he'll really stretch teams. But you know, my one worry is that injuries and also, you know, he's getting on a bit as well. Um I think he's 32 now. I might be wrong. But uh yeah, no, I, I do I am not as uh, as positive as some people about it. I don't know quite what impact he'll have. It, it very much depends on how how fit he can stay.
1: Were well, Tottenham unlucky to concede considering was and ledge found a build up to Brighton's goal, uh, Robert?
2: Um, Potentially, yeah, but also it was a great goal and I think uh, Lamberti getting a goal is what he deserves. He's been absolutely sensational this season. I think he's, you know, Archie State his claim to probably be England's potentially second or third best right back. But no, I mean, there was a foul. It was probably a clear foul, so it should have been... But you should probably argue that it should get called back, but I don't think I'm not sure if they can actually check for that or not how far back it was. but yeah yeah you could say they're unlucky, but to be honest, they still won, and Brighton probably deserved one goal from the way they played. so I don't I think it's pretty inconsequential, to be honest.
1: A well, women's FA Cup final between Man City and Everton did not fail to disappoint with the game going to extra time with Man City prevailing. Who were the key players for them, Harry?
0: Well, I think on both sides, I just quite make the point about the goalkeeping. I thought it was absolutely top level. Often, you know, goalkeeping in women's football over the years has been a source of, of criticism and ridicule. Um, but I thought, you yeah, know, the game yesterday, it was absolutely elite level stuff. It would have been at home in the Champions League final. It really could have been. I think, um, you know, Ellie, I think it's Roebuck at uh, City was was sensational, but even better, I thought the Everton goalkeeper. I think uh, she was many people's man of the match, despite them losing, really kept them in it with some really top, top draw saves. Um, but obviously for City, I think Georgia Stanway was the the main difference when she came off the bench. You know, scored the scored the goal that put them ahead in extra time. She you know she gave them something different. She gave them a bit more cutting edge. You know, City had, had quite a lot of shots to that point, but they couldn't quite put the ball in the back of the net. Um, so Georgia Stanway probably made the made the impact.
1: The women's game is going from strength to strength. What would you attribute this down to, Ben?
3: I think I think I think I think funding. Um, is a large part of it you know uh, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago um the transfer the transfer fees that are going that are going into into bringing in the best talent um but that 's as uh, well as as the sort of fee suggests those are sort of ready made talent i think i think the money is also going into uh into the grassroots and so you 're getting better players coming into sort of the the academies at earlier ages and you're seeing um better coaches better um ana- analysts and i think i think just the whole game like all the money that's getting pumped in you know these these women are, are athletes and great athletes and if you put the time and and the money into into get, getting them better resources then then you're going to see what we're seeing now and that is you know a really high standard of, of women's football
1: thank you everyone that concludes our football section we now move on to Robert's rugby roundup. The time is 5.20 and let's start with the Six Nations. The Six Nations concluded this weekend with England winning the title. They beat Italy but I was a bit underwhelmed by their performance. What do you think Robert?
2: Yeah I think especially the first half they were quite underwhelming. We kind of got off to a bit of a stormer with Ben Youngs scoring a great try on his 100th cap for England with a uh, a great support line off of Farrell, who received a great pass from Macove and Apollo. But after that, we were quite underwhelmed. We struggled to get a grip of the game, really. And I think that's in large part to do with how up for this Italy was. Especially given that this game really meant nothing for them in terms of results, but probably everything in terms of pride. This is they were going into. Well, after they lost, it was their twenty seventh loss in a row in the Six Nations. So they were really up for it before the um, with the, the whistle was blown in the. Um, national anthems they were crying they could have really given the welsh a run for the money with the amount of tears that were coming when they were singing the national anthem and i think that that was a large part too but also england just couldn't quite get it working jake paledri played brilliantly as well around the rook and summoned his inner parisi uh to score a try as well so the first half was definitely underwhelming but the second half england kind of came more to life and scored several tries you know got the line out working and jamie george goes over Youngs did typical Youngs things with a, a sneak from Scrum Half and a great dummy. And then Curry caught them napping for the bonus point and Slade followed up later with a, a great kick chase. And it was underwhelming. But ultimately, especially in the second half, it was a professional performance and they ended up winning, rightly so. And yeah, uh, take clinching the Six Nations title.
1: You mentioned Ben Youngs. he's He got his 100th cap and capped it off with two tries. How good a player is he and can he reach, I know it sounds stupid asking someone for 100, he's got 100 caps, but he's, he's one of the few England players to have done that. Could he reach 150 caps?
2: I'm sure he could if he, if he can stay fit. Yeah, he's the only the second person ever to reach the milestone. And he's a, he's a phenomenal player. And I think the brilliant thing about Ben Young's is, is his consistency. There's been times in his career when he's dropped off, but he's always managed to come back in. He's been playing consistently for England since he was, you know, in his, since he was 20. And he really is just a very, very good player. His box kicking is second to none, but it's his reading of the game. The two tries he scores today are. Exactly what you want a scrum half to do. The, sec- the first one, brilliant support line off of Farrell, and the second one is what been, he's been doing his whole career—a beautiful uh, sneak and dummy. So I think if he stays fit, I don't see there's not particularly this brilliant crop of young English scrum halves coming through. So I wouldn't be surprised if he could if he could take another fifty. To be honest,
1: Italy struggled in the Six Nations and finished again, finished again on zero points with minus a points difference of minus 134. Do you think it's time for them to be replaced by Georgia?
2: No. I think it's time to bring Georgia in as well. I don't think there's any point in letting Italy go because you're just trading one nation for another. Rugby should be trying to strengthen everybody, not just cherry-pick who they want to be strong. Italy have really struggled. And, you know, you can talk about whatever reasons that is. Probably the fact that they just need a more kind of hardened domestic competition. And they only have a very few kind of real superstars but i think it is definitely time for georgia to be brought into the fold and maybe expand to the seven nations or just kind of reconfigure european rugby in general to get more teams involved because georgia definitely deserved to be there but i also don't think italy deserved to be kicked out
1: france beat ireland how good can the french be they have struggled in recent six nations what's changed for them Two questions in there for you,
2: Robert. Yeah, they can be incredible. Uh, Kind of the two things that have changed is, one, they're embracing the youth, and two, they've got Sean Edwards as as the defensive coach. And those are two massive parts. You know, when we looked at the kind of the dominant Welsh team of the last few years, the one that we really thought would do damage in the World Cup, it was built on a solid defence. And you can actually see that kind of waning in Wales at the moment. And that was all built on the expertise of Sean Edwards. So that was that's kind of the building blocks you need. But then they've embraced young players like Untamak, like Antoine Dupont, who both absolutely ran this game against Ireland. You know, um, Dupont scores, but then also gets to try assist for Untamak. Try and then Unsmack gets the try assist for Nakatawa's try. They were they just controlled the game. Dupont is incredible. I I wouldn't be. I would make the argument that he's potentially the best from half in the world at the moment. The way he's playing. So I think that's really the thing is they've embraced these young players who can really run a game and can really just play really expansive and fun rugby. And that's kind of what's led them to be a real challenger. And next year's Six Nations, if it can be kind of a more consistent competition, you wouldn't be surprised if you saw France uh, really take England all the way.
1: Ireland struggled against France, in my opinion, losing 35-27. They were never in the game, in my opinion, after 55 minutes. What do you think they need to do to return stronger?
2: I just think it's a kind of a process of time. Andy Farrell's not been in charge solely for very long. And he's clearly got, still got that kind of Smith mentality in the squad. And I think that just needs more time, more practice, getting kind of young players as they are in, but get, kind of getting them even more so. But just trying to really work around uh, building that pack, which is which is a strong one with the likes of Ty Ferlon still uh, getting towards the end of his career, but still playing very well. It's about getting those kind of, building blocks set so they can move on. And again, I think that's really all it is is when we saw Eddie Jones first join England, he had a period of success at the beginning, but then there was was a phase of time where he did struggle but yet now we'd see England and they're so dominant. So I really think that's all they do need under Andy Farrell is just that time to develop as a team and to really solidify their game plan because they do have very good players. I also have a thing, like I said last week, they do need to be on the lookout for an up-and-coming fly half because, again, Johnny Sexton was hauled off uh, around the 68th minute, I think, and he wasn't very happy about it. But he is coming towards the end of his career. Even though he said he wants to play till 40, I think they need to be on the lookout for a new fly half.
1: Wales lost to Scotland and had their worst six nations for 13 years. What do you think this was down to? Is it down to the fact that, as you mentioned earlier, they lost their sort of defensive coach? Is that Uh, the main reason or is it more an attacking reason for their demise?
2: I think it's, I think it's, I think personally a lot of it is the defence watching it. I mean, it was, it was was a cagey game. Neither team were particularly expressive. Uh, Scotland were at times though, but definitely less so when they lost to Finn Russell, but, it is i think i do think it's that defense that's what they built everything on was uh the game i think two years ago in the six nations when they beat england quite dominantly it was that blitz defense that meant that no england player had any time on the ball to really kind of drum anything up that's just lacking now you look at the defensive line and it's static they're they're barely they're barely blitzing at all they're kind of going more to um a drift defense and it's just not working. Their forwards aren't really getting into games. They were overpowered by the Scottish in this. And I think that is an issue. Obviously, there's issues in attack as well, but in attack, I do think they have good enough players. You still got Liam Williams, you've still got I think Lee Halfpenny actually had quite a good game. Damn Bigger. I think they've got the players in attack, especially in the backs. It's the defense where they are really struggling, in my opinion.
1: Last but not least. Scotland finished fourth in a respectable show for them. What do you think they need to do to finish higher up the table?
2: I think it's just a matter of going again, to be honest, because I think this Scotland team were much, uh, much improved from the Scotland team that we saw in the spring. I'm not sure what they've particularly done over that period, but they seem to have kind of somewhat reinvented themselves like we said last week they would had a dominant pack performance against Georgia and they've managed to do that again against Wales which has always been a criticism recently in the recent years of Scotland is that their the pack hasn't been strong enough whenever I talk to my friends about oh you know what's the Lions forward starters going to be there's never once a Scottish player in there but now you might have to potentially not reconsider but at least see that Scotland's packer are doing well, which means you then have the ability to let the, um, the backs be more expressive. However, they will be slightly concerned that Finn Russell got injured in this game and I think has undergone surgery for a groin issue. However, they've not stated how long he'll be out for. And Hastings, Adam Hastings, the replacement fly half also did his shoulder in. So that's, that'll be slightly concerning. But really, I just think it's a matter of Scotland continuing this rich vein of form and just continuing to go and seeing how they can do in the next Six Nations.
1: Speaking of Scotland players who could make the line starting at fifteen, Stuart Hogg is one of those as the fullback. Is he capable of doing that?
2: Yeah, I think so. He's he's a great player, and he's you know he's been playing f- for an Exeter team who've played incredibly well this season. So I think you know if you're picking your team on form, which I'd hope um, oh, the the way the Lions coach will do, then there's definitely a case for him to be there, probably potentially starting. Uh, but definitely taken as, you, as your second option. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw him start at all. Because so the, the other options, really, you're only talking about Elliot Daly. I don't think Lee Halfpenny's up there, um, particularly. Uh, standard has been playing there for Ireland, but he's very new to the position, normally plays on the wing. So I wouldn't be surprised if Stuart Hogg is the man you go for.
1: England's women's rugby side won the Grand Slam for the second success- successive Six Nations tournament. What makes them so good as a side and who are their key players?
2: They're just dominant. I think a lot of it is to do with that newly kind of real professionalism in the women's game has a lot to do with it. And, you know, they beat Italy 54-0 to, as you said, cap off a Grand Slam, but also a Grand Slam in which they ne- they nilled three separate sides, which is so, so impressive. Emily Scarrett is, to me, their key man woman even. Uh, she's absolutely sensational. Did She scored in this game but again made an incredible break as well and it was kind of they, they really share it. They really share it. In this game there was not they won 54 nil, but not one player scored twice, which is quite unique. You know, you've not just got the winger scoring, you've got a whole host of different players. Burn, at one point, has an incredible try. She's the tighthead, and yet she goes through and does an incredible step. You know, it really was a brilliant game. Breach was, uh, she's the winger. She has been incredible all tournaments. She's the tournament's top, goal, uh, top try scorer. But really, it's just the whole team. The whole team can has so many playmakers in it and has so many dominant players that it's really the team, not any individuals.
1: Switching codes, we move to Rugby League and the Super League. We move into the final five or six games for the regular season. Who do you think will make the playoffs?
2: Uh, it's difficult at the moment. You know, If it was a few weeks ago, I would have said Catalan potentially have a chance, which you, you, I wouldn't normally say. However, they've really dropped off and their uh, inability to actually play games has really hampered them. There was a stretch of three games which had to postpone for COVID reasons and especially because you're going across borders. Um, So I think they're out of it. So really, I think it's going to be in some ways, a bit of a boring top four, if that's how they're sticking to, I've not seen the news today yet, but they were uh, today deciding how they're going to finish the season. And previously it was a four team, a four team playoff system. So if it was that, you'd you'd probably see definitely Wigan, St. Helens and Warrington. I think, I think they're the top three. And then I think probably Leeds will be the ones under that. Um, if it's if it's a five team playoff, then you potentially I potentially could see Catalan scraping in there. But also Huddersfield have looked good in recent games. You know, they only narrowly lost to Warrington. Uh, and Hull FC also have been somewhat rejuvenated in recent games. So it really depends how they're gonna structure the end of the season. But I think Wiggins and Helens of Warrington are nailed on uh, top four with potentially Catalan or Leeds following them.
1: And sad news today for the Toronto Wolfpack. They got rejected from rejoining the Super League for the 2021 season. Is that the right decision? Do you think they will join the Super League again in the future?
2: I think it's an absolutely shocking decision, to be honest. I'm, I'm really gutted about it. I'm a massive kind of rugby league expansionist. And I just think there, were, there wasn't enough reasons to not let them back in. You know, they, they had to leave because of of financial issues, because they played all their games away from home first, which meant they got none of the gate receipts that they would have potentially got. And they fill out their stadium, Lamport Stadium in Toronto. It's about 12,000 seats, and they sell it out every game. You know, I think it's a really, really poor decision by the Super League and shows kind of a really bad precedent for potential expansion of clubs. You know, the Ottawa Aces are meant to go into League One next season. And if I'm the, the owner, Eric Perez or the CEO even, Eric Perez of the Otter races. I'd be really concerned with this decision. It just shows a real lack of faith in the Super League in expansion. Yeah, I do think it's a poor decision. Hopefully, because we're not sure what's going to actually happen to them. Now, hopefully Toronto can go to the Championship and they're happy enough doing that. And hopefully they can get back to the Super League. I think they were a really exciting team. You know, they hadn't got any points, but it was just an exciting prospect to have a Toronto team in the league. And they had Sonny Bill. So, you know, I I, I do really hope that they can get back there. And I do think it's a very, very poor decision by the Super League.
1: Thank you, Robert. That has been Robert's Rugby Roundup. I'm now going to be joined by Ben Fleming for Fleming's Fighters. Ben, how are you doing?
3: I'm very good, sharpie. How are you doing? Very good indeed.
1: Uh, Alexander Yusik beat Derek Chisora by unanimous decision. Do you think he deserved the win? Chisora doubted the judge's decision?
3: Yeah, I think he. I think he deserved it. I, he, had me, he, had, he had me. worried, especially after you put down the prediction of a Chisora knockout. I thought those uh, those first few rounds were, were worrying, but I think uh, Usyk did what I think a lot of us thought he would do, and that's weather the storm. Um, Chizora knew that he had to. Um, he had to get in early, but he's not. Chisora is not. Not really that sort of one punch knockout guy. He's not really got that wilder Joshua power. So his, his best hope was going to be really hurt Usyk and try and sort of get him out there via accumulation. But uh, Usyk, Usyk's um, fast enough to evade those punches. Took a few, but started to get his jab going. He's so light on his feet, moves so well. Um, still really moves like a cruiserweight, to be honest. Um, really hurt Trezor in the seventh. Could have really, and probably should have really, put, put, put more effort into that sort of 8, 9, 10, that final stretch. I reckon he could have got him out of there. Uh, for me, I probably had it eight eight rounds to four to Usyk, so I think um, I think a couple of those scorecards were perhaps a bit uh, perhaps a bit generous for uh, for Delworth.
1: What do you make of Usyk's performance? I mean, you mentioned he he uh, avoided the large punches from Derek Chisora, but what do you make of it in terms of comparing him to other heavyweights?
3: Yeah, I mean, he is he is a mover. I mean. It's 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 a sen- he, he he's branded as sort of Lomachenko but big you know he's he's the Lomachenko of the cruiserweight slash headweights. you know they've 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 trained together he's got very good am- amateur pedigree much in the same way as uh, as Lomachenko does um, obviously he's not um, going to come in with the size or the power advantage but that's just natural given that this isn't his natural weight you know he came in I think it was three stone below Chisora um, yeah it was. I think he was, I think he was, um, I had a look today. I compared it with the weight that Joshua came in for the second Ruiz fight. And I think he was comfortably at least a stone and a half below that. So he obviously is going to have the power and the the size disadvantage. But I think, I think he knew that. And his game is not about, you know, overpowering, getting inside, using the clinch to, to win his fights. His, his is sticking, moving, using that jab. And um, and trying to get the job done by that, and I think he showed there um, he's got the skills to do it. My, my only issue would be against against a uh, a truly elite gun division who uh, who can last twelve rounds and, and who punch a lot harder than than Shazora. He's uh, he's really going to have to be perfect for twelve rounds, which is which is difficult um, in the heavyweight division.
1: So, do you think he belongs in the top tier of who waits on the show? His performance against Shura, which is all right. In my opinion, he doesn't. I thought it was a bit of a lacklustre performance. He, I expected better from a former undisputed cruiserweight champion. To be honest,
3: tough, tough critic, Sharpie, tough critic. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think, I think he, uh, I think, yeah, you can, you can, you can want better. And I think, I think he'll, he'll pull. He'll probably look back on that footage, especially around uh, seven, eight, and think, yeah, maybe, maybe I should have put on the gas. Finish my but this isn't this isn't a guy who's gonna you know have big you know clinch work just throwing bombs. He is he is a very you know very 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 technical on how he boxes. So I think he belongs there. Um, I'd still like to see him fight at least once, if not twice more, before he fights for a title. I think I think chazor is sort of in that sort of twenty to thirty. I'd like to see him fight someone in that sort of fifteen to to ten, maybe someone like a Povetkin, maybe someone like a Michael Hunter. Um, I think there's guys he, who he can fight there to sort of um, sort of sharpen his game and and, and to maybe maybe prove to Dawson like you that uh, he can cause some damage at the top of the top of the division.
1: What next for Derek Jazora? Was this his last shot at competing on the on the world on the world stage on the world level?
3: Yeah, I think um, I think he knows probably as well as as well as any that this this was last hurrah. I mean. I think if he'd have gone on to to got a knockout against um, Usyk, I don't I don't think anyone would have given us much, Anyone would have given him much chance against Joshua. But I mean, that's that's not what he's here for. He's he's old now. He'll he'll go again. He's still he's still a massive draw, and um, and there's still plenty plenty of money to be made. He didn't he didn't you know sustain any huge damage. He didn't get brutally knocked out. So he'll he'll rest up, have a Christmas, go again, and get some uh, get some more paychecks.
1: Moving down the card, Lee Selby lost to Cambosis Junior. Is this the end for Lee Selby at world level, and should he consider retiring?
3: Uh, I mean, I haven't, I haven't heard anything about retiring. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think for world level, um, I think you know, Cambosis is, is a solid, solid, solid boxer. But I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think Cambosis is really amongst the elite at lightweight. So uh, yeah, if he's if he's not not getting past Cambosis Junior, then yeah I th- I think I think any 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 ambitions of getting a second uh, world title at lightweight are off 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 the cards um we'll see we'll see what he what he does He's old now know. he's 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 won a title he's, he's probably done all he wants to do in the sport but it'll just be you know is that drive there and does he want to have a few more dust stops before he before he calls it quits
1: yeah i mean i wonder whether as you said he he won a world title is there really any need for him to continue if he's not going to be able to win another one
3: that's that's my point really yeah i think i think i think i think you bang on there it's like you know there's no, there's no need. He's won the title. you know. Box, boxing's a young man's sport, and if you can get in, get in, win a title, get some money and keep all your marbles in check, which I think he probably has, then um, you can count it pretty lucky.
1: Uh, Savannah Marshall won the WBO Middleweight World Championship against Hannah Ranking, which you correctly predicted last week, and then called out Clarissa Shields, the holder of the other three major belts in that division. Who do you think will win this fight? Now, I find it's very intriguing because Marshall was the only person ever in the amateur or professional ranks to ever beat Clarissa Shields. Do you who do you think would win?
3: Uh at this moment, I think I'd still favor Clarissa Shields. I think uh quality of opposition um she's she's fought up against is uh is far far to anything uh Savannah Marshall's facing the professionals. I'd like to see Savannah Marshall fight a couple of other people. I, I know, I know there's not a huge strength and depth at uh, at women's middleweight, um, but I think, I think I'd like to see her fight a couple more times before that fight gets made. If it gets made now, I think I'd favour Chris Shields. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think now's the time for her. Um, but yeah, there's not, there's not, not really a lot of other options. So it may, it 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 may come out out of sort of sheer convenience rather than necessity
1: speaking about women's boxing just moving on to november the 14th we have a fight camp again at eddie hearn's former home um but the brilliance of this fight camp is that it's all entirely women's boxing for, with three world title fights on the card does it show the strength of women's boxing on, in the in the sense that previously you would you you would have i don't know maybe a women's fight on the undercard but you wouldn't have maybe one or two you wouldn't have that whole card being completely packed like that.
3: Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a great sign. And I think um, I think one of the things, especially um, looking back at um, Eddie Eddie Hands or match room, camps or whatever they were phrased as, is is in those in those five fight cards, there were two sometimes some, some sometimes three women's fights on there, and that's great. I think I think at, at the truly elite level, you know, at, at the very world level, there are a lot of well a lot, there are there are enough um, good fighters in each division to make good fighters. You now you think um Kate Taylor's had great fights with Passoon. Um, we mentioned just there Savannah Marshall and Clarissa Shields at Midway. The problem is is there is a huge drop between the truly elite and the rest. And in much the same way that we were talking about uh, women's women's football earlier on, it just comes down to funding. If you get if you get the funding in, and there's a really good article I read a couple of months ago, which is um, talking about trying to get more women who who fight in the amateurs to commit to professionals because there's so much quality in the amateurs in the olympics but so many of the women there you know they're 28 when they win the olympic gold or or when they compete the olympics and they want to go start families or there's not enough money in the professional scenes they don't they don't feel like they want to go into it i think the key thing has got to be to to just strengthen that 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 talent pool with funding and to try and make sure that if they want to um that those people who 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 fight fight the Olympics those those women there more more of them are coming over to the professional scene because if they do then, then then there's going to be a burgeoning talent pool and there's going to be a lot more great great fight cards like the one you mentioned
1: Moving to the United States, Floyd Mayweather's protege, Gavonte Davis, beat Leo Santa Cruz to become the WBA featherweight title and win a version of the WBA lightweight belt. The lightweight division is really hot right now, with Davis, Lopez, Haney and Garcia being the four major players. Who do you see as the best? Where would you rank them in one to four?
3: Yeah, I mean this 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 fight happened. Uh, super super featherweight. I'll first say, um, if 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 anyone listening and hasn't watched that knockout, do watch it. It is, I mean, it's a work of art. Santa Cruz throws throws the right straight. Javante slips to the left, comes up with a huge left guy. It's honestly an incredible knockout. Um, Javante Davis, he's small. He is small at super featherweight. He will be small at lightweight. He's obviously got the power. He's sort he's of Tyson-esque in that he's like he's small but he's bulky, he's broad, um, fantastic body shots. He showed that against Santa Cruz. Personally, um, I think I think if Lomachenko comes back, I think I'd probably still I probably still consider him my one or two with 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 Lopez. I think I still can't really decide against them, even if the first fight did go pretty convincing to Lopez. Um I think I'd put Javonte three maybe devin haney four um, but I mean there's so as you said there's so many fighters there that I mean 2020, 2021 and 2022 have really got to be the time that um the promoters start kicking on and uh, and booking some of these fights because there's so much money and, and potential to have some cracking fights
1: yeah I mean, the only issue with that with the fights obviously going to be down to money going to be down to TV contracts and that sort yeah. of thing and uh Same
3: hopefully old thing
1: boxing politics will not get in the way
3: yeah let's hope so
1: um, finally, a word on Anson Silva, the UFC fighter who lost his fight this past weekend. Is he going to retire now? Is that the end for him?
3: I mean, certainly the end of his uh, UFC career. He made that quite clear coming into this fight. Um, he sort of flirted with um, fighting other organisations, I think. I think if there's one thing you need to learn from mixed, mixed martial arts is that there's never, there's never anything... Um, so, well, there's, there's no such thing as a retirement... Um, everyone says I mean Khabib for example last week last week said he retired and now there's already talks about him coming back out so there's no there's no no real such thing as a a, an MMA retirement um yeah I mean it'll be the end of his UFC career and it's a shame because people will look at his um his recent run since 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 2013 which has only seen him win once um he's he's an old man now he's well I think 45 now um you know for a guy who's whose early career in the UFC, which was so dominant, it, it it relied so much on being being the sharper, quicker guy, having those reflexes. He had his hands down, you know, dodging the punches. And as you get older, as you as you suffer a few knockout losses, those those reflexes and those ability to take shots goes. And and that's 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 why we've seen him fall away in the uh, in the way that he has. But I mean a fantastic career. It will be overshadowed by by the way it's ended. But you know, if people want to go back and watch some of his earlier fights, I mean his fights against um Leo with the with the front kick knockout is one of the best things I've ever seen. Um his fight against Forrest Griffin, where where Forrest Griffin essentially gets gets knocked out by a slap because he's just been just mocked for three rounds. I mean, some of his earlier fights are fantastic. Um, but yeah, slightly overshadowed because he just stayed in there for too long.
1: Thank you, Ben. That has been Fleming's Fighters. uh, we now move on to Tanner's tackles, and we're joined by a resident NFL expert, Harry Tanner. Now, Harry, before we start, let's talk about my player of the week, Dalvin Cook, who rushed for 163 yards and three touchdowns and added two receptions for a 63 yards and a touchdown. What a player he
0: is. Harry, your thoughts on him? Yeah, what a monstrous performance that was yesterday. He, uh, It was one of those ones where he looked at his team and he said, guys, I've got this today. Put the team on his back and uh, just ran the show. Uh, you know, Kirk Cousins only threw the ball 14 times yesterday. That's how good Dalvin Cook was. The team just decided he's going so well, we'll just give it to him and let him run it. He is, uh, you know, he's an elite running back. He really is. He's a, a fantastic blend of speed, power. He's nimble as well. Um, no, I was really impressed with him yesterday. I think in, in the NFL, he, he leads the league in uh, in evading tackles. That just shows how nimble he is. He's a fantastic runner to watch when he gets the ball in hand. He really is.
1: Moving on to that game, the Green Bay Packers lost to the Minnesota Vikings 28-22. What let Green Bay down in that performance? Was it the rush, their rushing defence?
0: I think it was It was a combination of things, Sharpie. I think some of it was out of their control. It was extremely windy at uh, the game yesterday. So it was 40-mile-an-hour winds. So uh, I think that slightly probably messed with their game plan. You know, Aaron Rodgers is one of the the top-level quarterbacks in the league. So I think they would have liked to, uh, you know, going into it, been having him throw it around the place. But, you know, with the wind, it was very difficult for him to have his trademark accuracy. I think they were unfortunate in, as well in the... You know, their lead running, by Aaron Jones was injured. So uh, I think uh, you know if you if you put the two running backs next to each other, Dalvin Cook and uh, it was Jamal Williams yesterday. I think uh, you know Minnesota is an easy win for them in that regard. But so um, you know that was out of, that was out of Green Bay's control. What was in their control, as you said, was that uh, that rushing defense, and it was it was pretty poor. Dalvin Cook just gashed them up the middle time and time again. Um, it was it was quite worrying, and it's it's becoming a you know a repeating concern. For Green Bay. It happened last season and it's starting to happen again. Um, you know, Mike Tyson He is famous for saying that uh, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth and that seems to be the way it's going for Green Bay. When they're dictating the game and they've got it in hand, you know, they look pretty pretty, pretty hard to beat but, um, you know, we saw it yesterday, you know, they got punched in the mouth by uh, Dalvin Cook and they didn't respond. The Russian defence just seems to disintegrate under, under pressure. It's happened, it happened earlier this season I think against the uh, Alvin Kamara, he did the same thing, and uh, I think it also happens throughout the whole Green Bay team. They seem to struggle against teams that are physical with them, teams that try and push them about. They can they can get bullied when uh, they come against this physicality. That happened against Tampa Bay definitely, and it happened last season as well. I recall uh, when they played San Francisco, they got absolutely battered by them, and they had no response to the physicality that other teams bring bring to them. So I think um, you know they're one of the worst tackling teams in the league. They keep missing open field tackles, which I'm sure you know, Sharp, Sharpie. I'm sure Coach Rooney and Coach Ketch have told you at the Saints how important, you know, making your open field tackles are. So, exactly. Uh, if, they, if they keep missing those, then they're they're going to really struggle. So um, I think it's about bringing that physicality. You know, Matt LeFleur has got to give them a bit of a talking to and they can't be beaten by uh, such uh, physical, intense performances again.
1: Another game, another mistake by Cam Newton as he fumbled the ball against the Bills. Will the Patriots be looking to the draft to get a young quarterback as a replacement for him as they have now lost four in a row?
0: Yeah, we discussed this a bit last week, didn't we? And uh, I, I thought had would thought maybe they'd uh, be looking to uh, tank. And actually, surprisingly, they were in that game for the large, large part of it against their division, divisional rivals, the Bills. Um, you know, had Cam not made that mistake at the end, they, they could very well have and they probably should have uh, gone on to win that game, which would have. You know, been a very different story, but as it is, you know, it's a game of fine margins. And after dropping that, I think uh, Cam might have sealed his fate. He might, uh, he might be looking at the bench uh, from now on. Yes, and um, and then that that leads to questions of who are they going to replace him with? They'll be definitely be targeting um, a new young quarterback from the draft. But the difficulty for them is, you've got to get worse to get better sometimes. And uh, their record at the moment, they're heading for. I think they're predicted the eighth pick in the NFL draft, and that might be a problem because the three best quarterbacks might be off the board by then. And they might be left, you know, going for a sort of sub-elite player. As we mentioned time and time again, Trevor Lawrence will be gone with the first pick. Justin Fields from Ohio, he'll be gone probably in the top three picks. So that leaves them probably targeting, uh, you know, a guy called Trey Lance. I think he's at North Dakota State. He's uh, you know, he's come onto a lot of people's radar recently. And he does look like he could be a talented player. So he'll certainly be, uh, probably be New England's target. But that probably involves them losing some more games. You know, if they pick up a couple of wins here and there, it will leave them with, a, you know, a draft pick where they're not going to be getting the elite talent that they're looking for. So um, it's a difficult question, but I imagine Bill Belichick might be looking at tanking like we said last week.
1: You never know. I mean, uh, Patrick Mahomes has picked at number 10 for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, and Look at how he's turned out.
0: Well, and Tom Brady, they, they have experience yeah. in uh, New England, sixth round pick Tom Brady. So maybe Bill Belichick's got his eye on someone already. You never know.
1: Cincinnati beat Tennessee in a shock result. Joe Burrow, the number one draft pick, Sean for the Bengals. Do you think the Bengals have got a franchise quarterback in him?
0: It's difficult to say. You know, it is very early on in his career, but the, the first signs have been really positive from Joe Burrow. Um, he's not surrounded by much talent, really. Um, pro football focus, uh, you know, they're, they're the stats gurus in uh, American football and they, they rank his offensive line. The guys are meant to be protecting him as the 29th out of 32 teams. So uh, he's not got much support. He's got people running after him all week. Um, you know, I think he had four out of his five starters missing in the uh, offensive line, but uh, he didn't get sacked once. And I think that really shows his toughness and his escapability, uh, you know, inside, outside the pocket. Didn't get sacked. I thought that was very impressive. Yeah, I think he threw 26 for 37 yesterday, two touchdowns. And then, well, no, it was a fantastic win. He showed great leadership. I think that's something that people are talking about around the team. We're such a young man, he's got you know, a bit of an old head on his shoulders. He really is... Um, a great leader. He shows experience beyond his years. Um, I think Cincinnati at the moment will be very pleased with the, with their pick. I think he's he, he's third in the league for passing yards, which, you know, for a, a rookie, as I said, with not a huge amount of talent, you know, he's got some good good wide receivers um, around him in, uh, in you know, Tyler Boyd. And he's got Joe Mixon in the backfield, who, you know, has been injured the last couple of games, but uh, he's you know, he's made the most of that. Um, and I think they'll be pretty pleased with that. Definitely. Cincinnati. I think he could definitely be a franchise quarterback. The Dallas Cowboys lost again to the
1: Eagles. Do you think they will pay Dak Prescott big money next year, as we've seen how badly they have struggled without him?
0: Well, you probably would have assumed so, but that injury that we, you know, we, we mentioned a few weeks ago is really per spanner in the works because, you know, committing a lot of money to someone who's uh, who's on the shelf at the moment is not always the the wisest thing to do. And I think they'll be concerned about putting up the big bucks for someone who uh, then you can't guarantee will even be fit for the start of next season they have definitely struggled without him but uh, I don't think quarterback play has been their their biggest um, their biggest failure so far we've talked about you know coaching their defense you know week in week out we're always talking about the Cowboys because they've uh, you know they're, they're not really getting it done um, I'm, I think you know as we've talked you know the, the question you've asked me last couple you've asked me about Joe Burrow, Cam Newton we're talking about quarterbacks because that is the most important position on, on a football field and you've got to have Someone who can get it done week in, week out. If you don't, if you don't have a, you know, above average quarterback, you're not going to be getting to the Super Bowl anytime soon. And I think uh, Dak Prescott probably is one of those players, so it wouldn't surprise me if they did pay him. But the struggle is, he's owed lots of money. You know, um, I think uh, the way the w- rules work, that he's heading for about 22, 22% of their of their uh, cap space next year, which is a phenomenal amount of money to be spent on one player. Given they've got to pay another another 52, so. Um, I think Jerry Jones will have a think about it. He's uh, he's an experienced uh, experienced owner and GM, but uh, you know, he's made a few he's made his fair share of mistakes, so I'll be very interested to see where that goes. Um, but you know, it's hard to say with Dak injured.
1: A big question. Let's go f- through all the divisions and see who we think will win them. We're nearly we're about halfway through the season. Let's start with the NFC West, where you've got the Seahawks, Cardinals, Rams and 49ers. Who have you got as your picks to win that division?
0: It's a very competitive uh, division, that one, Sharpie. I think it's the only one where every single team uh, were 500 and above. They've all got a positive uh, points differential, but uh, I think you you can't ignore the Seattle Seahawks at the moment. Uh, we, we talk about them week in, week out. They've been fantastic offensively. The defence is doing just enough, and uh, I think Russell Wilson will certainly be uh, the victory. But it will be, it'll be close. You know, they'll, be run, they'll be run close. The Cardinals have looked very good in recent weeks. They've won, they've won three on the bounce. Um, and the Rams always a team to beat with Sean McVeigh. And then you know, we mentioned the 49ers, but I think, yeah, Seattle Seahawks for me.
1: Now we probably move on to the worst division in the NFL, the NFC East. You've got the Eagles, Washington football team, the Cowboys and the Giants. Who have you got as your uh, worst winner, so oh, to speak?
0: Yes, absolutely. Best of a bad bunch, really. The least worst. Um all of them don't really inspire much uh, confidence. You know, the, the Eagles got it done against the Cowboys yesterday, who were pretty atrocious. I think I think the Eagles are probably the favourites. I think this is one way. If I had to pick an upset, you know, um, I, I, I I have a strange feeling about Washington getting it done. I mean, that probably going against the grain there, but I think they're only going to get better as the season goes on. You know, they've got a very youthful uh, defensive line who I think could cause teams problems. Ron Rivera is an experienced coach. Um, And, you know, he showed last season with Kyle Allen, they went on quite a good run with the Panthers together. So, uh, but I think I'll probably say the Eagles, but I'd say watch out for Washington. I think they could cause a surprise
3: or two.
1: We now move to the NFC North. We've got the Green Bay Packers, the Chicago Bears, Detroit Lions and the Minnesota Vikings. Now this to me is quite interesting because the, the Bears lost last night, the Packers lost last night and the Vikings beat the Packers.
0: Yeah, I know that, that they've, they've certainly mixed it up there. You know, if, we, if you asked me last week, I would have spoken with a bit more confidence about it. But um, definitely, it's been an, it's been an interesting week. I'd, I'd still say the Green Bay Packers, you know, I mentioned their big weakness in, uh, against physical teams. And I'm sure teams will try and exploit that from now on. But uh, no, the way I look at it, the Packers are the team to beat. Chicago Bears have played good defense. I thought they were unlucky last night against the Saints. You know, it was a tight run game, went to overtime and they uh, they got bested there. So it'll be it'll be you no know, it's, it's between the, the Packers and the Bears, no doubt. But um I think you know if if things go go smoothly for the Packers and they can they can build on those weaknesses that we outlined earlier, I'd say they were the team to be in that in that division. And
1: finally in the NFC, so we move on to the NFC South. You've got in my opinion, probably other than the uh, the NFC West, probably the most competitive division in the NFC. You've got the New Orleans Saints, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Carolina Panthers, and of course my team, the struggling Atlanta out- Falcons. Who have you got winning that one?
0: Well, I hate to break it to you, Sharpie, but it's not the Falcons, um, <laughs> and it's it, it, it's not it's not the Panthers either. Who actually have impressed me? I thought Matt Rule has actually been doing a, a semi decent job over there, especially with Christian McCaffrey out. But it's between you know the, the New Orleans Saints and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who play each other. Um, this coming weekend, so it's a shame I I couldn't have watched that one before I made my prediction but if I had to stick my neck out on the line, I'd say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, what edges it for me at the moment is if you look at their point differential the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, when they win, they win big, you know, their their point differential was plus 80 compared to the Saints which is plus 9, that is a very big difference really, so the Buccaneers are playing fantastic defence, we talked about that last year, the defensive revolution, and they've also got one of the coolest heads in the business, uh, in Tom Brady, and They've just added another weapon as well, just to make them their their offense even more potent. Antonio Brown has just signed, so of uh,
1: course, yes,
0: yeah. So I think that that if he can get back to his best and he can avoid the uh, you know the the uh, off the field drama that he's so often involved in, they're going to be a very very dangerous team. Definitely. So I think uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers just over the New Orleans Saints, but I expect the Saints to make a wild card position for sure.
1: Now we move on to the AFC and the AFC East. You've got the Bills, the Miami Dolphins, the Patriots, and the Jets. Now I've got controversially, I've got the Dolphins actually winning this one. But who have you got?
0: Yeah, no, that's an interesting one, Sharpie, because I, I was—I the, the Dolphins have come into my mind recently as well. They're—they're they're the form team, really. They won three on the bounce. They've just brought Tua in, um, and you know he, he had quite a quiet game against the Rams in his starting debut, but. It was their defense, which is really shone. They, uh, they had a remarkable game where they had um, a defensive touchdown. They also had a um, special teams one. It was the first punt return uh, touchdown of the season, which was an exciting one from uh, Jakeem Grant. But uh, definitely, you know, the, the Dolphins It's interesting. We both, we're both looking at them as, I think, uh, a potential dark horse. The Bills, who we, we talked about so fondly, uh, you know, though not that long ago and, and how good Josh Allen has been, he's started to slightly struggle in recent weeks. He's not been at his best they uh, you know they have won their last two the dolphins but uh, sorry uh, the bills that is but you know the dolphins have won their 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 last three and they they as we talked about positive uh, differentials earlier and um, you know, they plus their plus 58 bills are minus 1 um i'd still i'd think you know common wisdom would suggest that the bills will will sort it out uh, you know they've had a couple of tough games in recent weeks um but uh Dolphins are one to watch out for. They'll they'll, they'll be they'll be up there amongst the wildcard options. But I think I had to go with the Bills. They're, they're too well coached and uh, you know, they 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 haven't they haven't become a bad team overnight. Definitely.
1: We move on to the AFC South and you've got the Tennessee Titans, the Indianapolis Colts, and the Houston Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Texans surprisingly struggle struggling this season. But who have you got winning this division?
0: Yeah, I'd be interested to see what you think on this one, Sharpie, because it, it's a very tight uh, tight battle between the Titans and the Colts. Um, you know, the Titans, another team, you know, a bit like the Bills, who we were very, very uh, high on not too long ago. And, you know, the Titans have now lost their last two games. They were shocked by Cincinnati last night. Um, you know, they were beaten by the Steelers not, not too long uh, before that. And they're you know, similar to the Bills. Are they not, they've not become a bad team overnight. Um, you know, they've got fantastic offense. We rave about Derek Henry very often on this show. Same with Ryan Tannehill. Very impressed with them, but it's their defense that's uh, that's really that, that does trouble me. I think the Colts definitely have the upper hand in terms of uh, defensive play there. I'd be interested to see if the Titans make any moves. You know, it's the uh, the trade deadline coming up very soon. They might be looking to try and enhance that pass rush to make sure they're getting uh, opposition quarterbacks. But the Colts, I think, are doing that a little bit more. You know, they've had some excellent signings. DeForest Buckner, I think, has you know uh, strengthened that over there. Um, I think it's it's a question really of you know Tennessee Titans have a have a stronger Offense, I think. I think Philip Rivers has struggled for the Colts. But then, you know, The Colts have the upper hand when it comes to defense. They'll be a, will be a close shootout. I think. What do you, uh, what do you think, Sharpie?
1: My head, my heart, and head says the Titans, but my stomach, my gut says the Colts. I know it's a weird one, yeah. uh, but um, it is. It's very tight. I, I've got a feeling the Colts will just edge it. I think the Titans' defense will really struggle. The, in my opinion, the most competitive division in the AFC. Or in the in in the entire NFL, the AFC North, you've got the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Baltimore Ravens, the Cleveland Browns, and you've got the Cincinnati Bengals. Now let let's discount the Bengals because they're two and five. Who have you got win, winning that one? Winning that division? Do you think we could see a wild card? Definitely a wild card from that division.
0: Yeah, I think there'll definitely be one. There could even be two. Interestingly, you know, they're, they're both the Browns and the Ravens sitting on five uh, five wins. You know, that, that's looking. Pretty decent at this stage, but I, I I can't ignore the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, they're the only undefeated team left. They had a real statement win against uh, the Baltimore Ravens. They weren't at their best, but you know I've said this time and again, the best teams find a way to win even when they're they're not at their best. In their defense just looks pretty frightening, really. Um, they kept Lamar Jackson in check, who you know has not been really at his best recently. And That's my main knock on the Ravens. So still, they're still playing excellent defense. But they're not quite capturing the imagination like they did last year. You know, they were fantastic to watch last year. They were scoring so many points. They were throwing for two hundred yards and rushing for two hundred yards most games. It was absolutely sensational. But Lamar Jackson struggled, and I think teams are starting to uh, to work out how to deal with him a bit better. I think defensive coordinators have been very canny. They've uh, you know they've found schemes that that put him under a bit of pressure, make him struggle, and he's he's not quite. Uh, his MVP best yet, and I think that that holds the, the Baltimore Ravens back for me, and puts the Pittsburgh Steelers in pole position for that one.
1: And now, probably the easiest division to call the to call the AFC West. You've got the Chiefs, the Raiders, the Broncos, and the Chargers. There's only one way you can go with this, isn't there?
0: There's only one way you can go with this, and that's the LA Chargers. They're going to be no, I'm joking. I'm joking. It's, uh... <laughs> It's yes. the, it's the Kansas City Chiefs, um, you know, they, uh, they're the team to beat, they're, uh, I think they're probably still my, them and the, them and the Steelers, I think my favourites probably for the SC Championship game, Um, those two together, but you know, the Chiefs, I mean, we, we, what more can you really say about them, P- a positive point differential, 101, they scored 253 points in the league, I think that's by far and away uh, the most, maybe Seattle are challenging there on that regard, but it's Patrick Mahomes. I think he threw five touchdown passes uh, last night. It was against the Jets, who we, as we know, are absolutely woeful, but they didn't make, you know, they didn't make too many mistakes. Um, they were efficient. Um, and uh, you know, we talked about Kelsey and Hill and Hardman and the addition of Le'Veon Bell, who got a few touches yesterday. Edwards Um, if they can get their defense uh, back to, uh, you know, its best like they had in the Super Bowl, then they've still got a few players to come back from injury. They've missed Chris Jones a little bit, but yeah, uh, yeah, no, the, the easiest, easiest division to pick. Um, I'd, I'd bet my house on that one.
1: And who is your player of the week? We talked about Dalvin Cook, but other than him, who's been your player of the week?
0: My player of the week. Um, I think he's one of the most fun players to watch in in football. Uh, when he's at his best. Um, he had he a fantastic performance last night. I'm going to go for DK Metcalf, Superman. Um, yeah, he's just a freak of nature. He had his, it was his career, career game really last night. His best performance since, uh, since his. Debut in the NFL two years well last season um, he, he had twelve catches 161 yards and then uh, two touchdowns he was a real monster for Russell Wilson last night um, yeah it was just a lot he's a lot of fun to watch when he gets going he scored a fantastic touchdown a brilliant run if uh, if you haven't seen it yet I know definitely check that one out and what's your
1: prediction for the Tampa Bay New York Giants game tonight
0: I don't think it's going to be a particularly close one um, I think uh, Tampa Bay should run away with it. You know, the, the Giants have struggled to score points and they're against one of the best defences in, uh, in the league. I, I suspect that Daniel Jones will be in for a very tough night. I think there'll be a few sacks coming his way. I think if he's under pressure, he, he, he throws quite a few turnovers. I think you know, there'll be a few picks as well. Um, and, and I don't think uh, the, uh, the Tampa Bay offence will struggle to get going. I think they'll be fine. Um, I think I'm looking at a kind of 31-16 Tampa Bay, I think.
1: Thank you, Harry. That has been Tanner's Tackles. We now move on to Ella's Olympics and I'm pleased to be joined by Ella Bicknell. Ella, how are you doing? I'm grand. Thanks, Sharpie. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Now, let's talk about some positive news to start off with. The uh, British athletics,
4: there's some positive news on the British athletics side, isn't there? Yeah, in terms of how they allocate funding for the Olympics, it's really good news in my opinion. So in the past, funding was always based on medals, and it was a bit of a chicken and egg situation. So, for example, the sports teams that had more medals, so for example, cycling, rowing, famous, us Brits are famous for really dominating those fields. They would get more funding allocated to them. However, the problem is is the more more funding is needed for you to win those medals. So that was a real disadvantage for especially new sports. And as more new sports are added to the Olympics, I think this has been a growing issue. Um, And another reason why it's an issue is because uh, uh, Team GB has just had a deluge of complaints in previous years about how it's constantly striving for medals at the expense of its athletes, especially their mental health. And that's not just team B, team GB, that is like across the Olympics, across many countries. Uh, One example could be gymnastics. So in Britain, uh, recently actually, uh, Jane Allen, the head of British gymnastics was uh, asked to retire early because of mistreatment uh, known in the sport. In the US, there's a really good Netflix documentary called Athlete A, which is about how, especially young girls in gymnastics, how they're mistreated by their coaches and then there's a lot of secrecy in the um from the chinese and the russians about how they treat their gymnasts but it's um you can there's been a lot of allega- yeah. um, allegations towards them as well and it doesn't stop at gymnastics so a recent survey by uk sport said that 49 percent of um, all british olympic and paralympic athletes believe that there are um, consequences for people behaving inappropriately in um, Olympic sport, which means the majority think there isn't. So that is really worrying news. However, the way that these funding changes um, have come about is that more money is going to be allocated towards the holistic side of sport. So um, to quote Simon Morton, the funding agency's chief operating officer, They're gonna aim on supporting development of athletes as a performer, but also their ambition in a high performance setting, but also to add to a richer experience of participating in the sport. So it's not just about winning, it's also about how um, Team GB wins in the Olympics, which I think is really good. Um, That's one change. The other change is that usually, um, this surprised me. I listened to a talk by Lizzie Yarnold, who's the um, gold medalist skeleton uh, winter Olympian. Uh, She said that funding is only allocated every four years. So what happens is. Uh, Team GB decide how much funding each sport gets, depending on how well, they do, how well they do at every Olympics. Whereas now it's going to be every 12 years, which is really good because I think they can plan for the long-term and think about, oh, how many medals are we going to get in eight years time and 12 years time, which I think is just going to benefit uh, Team GB's performance in the Olympics in the long-term.
1: I mean, luckily for them, they're not like me with their student loan. And if they got given it all three years in advance, they would probably use it all at once. <laughs> Let's move on to um, uh, some more, some controversial news. There's been some drug tests failings or drug tests, missing drug tests uh, uh, when
4: it comes to certain athletes. Can you give us a bit more information about that? Yeah, so the big one is um, the 2019 world 100 meters champion, Christian Coleman, who was big, big Olympic hopeful, um, actually, and as you know, the 100 meters is like the pinnacle of the Olympics. And he won't be participating this year because the 24-year-old will be suspended from, um, well, from it's from May 2020, right until the Tokyo Olympics because he's missed three drugs tests. Um, He's, he says he's innocent. Um, he's only missed them, so he hasn't actually failed that. He hasn't failed them. There's no evidence there. But it's kind of disappointing that he would miss those drug tests. I understand that it's, um, it's a really difficult process for any athlete to go through, constantly being tested for drug use. They have to really watch their diet, et cetera. But it has to be done because you can't have this kind of unfairness in the sport, you can't have dope in the sport. And it's a shame that uh, the Athletics Integrity Unit had to um, disqualify him. Um, they said his actions were really careless and reckless. He missed one drug test, for example, because he was Christmas shopping, <laughs> which is I mean, just, that is just ridiculous. It's just a shame, isn't it? Um, on the other hand, uh, Daniel Wanjuri, who won the Lung Marathon back in 2017, he's been banned because it's been proven that he was doping. So he's taken 16 drug tests in a matter of two years between 2017 and 2019. On the 14th test, uh, the results shown that his haemoglobin variables were just astronomically high um, and the only plausible reason could be doping. So he is now banned for the next four years. So he won't be participating at the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, This is actually quite a common thread for Kenyan runners And so other examples of Kenyan runners that are banned due to doping would be Jemima Sungong and former World Marathon holder Wilson Kipsang. So Kenya is getting a lot of criticism in terms of marathon running. However, before I know this isn't on the note of um, doping, in positive news for Kenya, um, Perez Chichet just won the ladies world half marathon not only did she win she broke the world record so she ran that 13.1 miles in one hour five minutes and 16 seconds just narrowly beating um the german who came second place by two seconds it was a really good race so that's good news for kenya
1: yeah i mean it's good news it's a bit disappointing for me because it normally takes me an hour to walk there and back from Edinburgh castle but that's another story entirely um speaking about drug tests i'm going to pose a controversial question to you. Do you think that if you are found guilty of of taking drugs, you should be banned for life?
4: Oh, gosh. Well, with any kind of crime, unless it's incredibly serious, um, you, that time away from the sport can allow you to really address uh, what you've done and express sorrow and regret and a silly decision that you might have made um, earlier in your sporting career should not stop you if you're a changed person and you want to give it another go and your behavior shows that you have taken that into stride and you've improved your behavior. So I think not Sharpie actually. Um, Sport is brutal and it leads people to make very desperate decisions. And this really links very well to what we said earlier about Team GB's funding is that pressure on athletes is just immense and it causes them to make silly decisions. And also sometimes some drug tests, doping, obviously very, very, It's a um, you have to take that decision. Whereas sometimes um, athletes can fail drug, drug tests because they've accidentally consumed something. So I remember Mo Farah talking about, he can have certain types of caffeine because that, or coffee, because that would might skew his drug test. So some of them are accidents. And also there can be slip ups in the evidence as well. A drug test doesn't necessarily mean it's 100% accurate, but on the whole, um, I don't think you should be bound for life if you fail the drug test.
1: And now moving on to your athlete's profile this week, you're profiling Dina Asher Smith, the world 200 meter uh, gold medalist. Now tell us a little bit about her career and what she's achieved so far.
4: Well, I'm just going to let this clip play for itself first because she's for some a lot of people haven't heard of her, but she should be a big name. We have really talked about Mo Farah, Simone Biles in this segment, and to me, she should be right up there with the with them. Just take a listen to this. that's just an example about how brilliant she is because she's currently Britain's fastest woman and the fastest female Britain has ever had. So she was part of the four by 100 meter relay team that brought back a bronze in the 2016 Olympics in Rio. Since then she's gone to win a gold at the 2018 European Championships in the 100 meters, 200 meters and in the relay and then in 2019 a gold medal in the world championship for the 200 meters. So, yeah, she's formidable and, I think, a real favourite of Tokyo. Michael Johnson backs me up on this. He said um, the other day that all the other athletes will have Dina Asher-Smith in mind as they prepare for the Tokyo Games. And
1: you mentioned her chances. What are her chances in the individual events that she's doing? So, the 100 and 200 metres, who are our main competitors?
4: Ooh. Um... I don't know their main competitors by name. The Americans and the Jamaicans always have a strong field in that discipline. Um, but when she was being, when Dina Asher Smith was being interviewed about the postponement, she said that she was actually really grateful for it, even though she felt she was in the best shape of her life and she thought it she thought her initial reaction would be real disappointment because gyms would have been closed, tracks would have been shut, she would not have had no access to a physio, her whole life was being turned upside down. Yet she said it didn't upset her the way she thought it would because she had more time to prepare and more time to get an advantage over the other athletes in the field.
1: Thank you, Ella. That has been Ella's Olympics and it's been a brilliant segment. I really enjoyed it.
4: I thought it'd be a really quiet segment over um, the next few months because of course coronavirus but it's just more and more news stories keep on coming forth about the Olympics so really glad to have this segment Sharpie.
1: Thank you, thank you very much for it Ella. Um, let's move on to not my favourite but one of my one of my favourite segments of the week, any other business and I, this is where, where I ask all my all our pundits a question about what sort of sporting world would they like to see and this week we um we uh we, we we hit a controversial topic um in the unlikely instant that i do resign who would you which sports person would you like to see me being replaced by as co-head of sports feed i'm going to move on now move on to robert to start off with this one robert
2: eddie the eagle Edwards.
1: <laughs> just simple one so, yeah. one one sentence answer
2: yeah, just a bit of a character. I feel like it'd be fun. I don't think I would have any idea what he's doing, but it'd be a laugh.
1: <laughs> bit like me. Um, <laughs> um, Ella, we now move on to you. Who would you like to see me being replaced by?
4: That's all Sharpie. I just need to ask. Are you OK? <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm OK. I'm OK. I'm not resigning. Don't worry.
4: Oh, good. OK, oh, because good. I wasn't sure whether or not this would be self-deprecation because we're just going to replace you or self-gratification um because well my answer is no one can replace you Sharpie no one Aww, can you. well you're Durham you're a Durham student you've got involved in Durham sport but you've just consumed sport all your life and you've just been great I I love you as our pre- main presenter so also I'm trying to win so just gonna... <laughs> no, but yeah, who I'm just you trying to elbow myself in pick? there
1: <laughs> which sports person would you truly
3: pick
4: you know me, I love Claire Boulding. But then again, I, she's not a Durham girl. So I still love Claire Boulding. I just want to chat to her all day. What about Gabby Logan? Because she's from Durham. Oh, yes. Yes. Did, did she, she went to Durham, didn't yes. she? Yeah. Yeah. Gabby Logan. Get Logan, yeah. Jeremy Vine, because he went to Hatfield. I'm trying to think if anyone else in the world of sport um, came to Durham. I swear Durham's had a great load of cricketers and rowers
2: Chris Ote
4: yeah yeah Jonathan Edwards I feel like we should get collaboration going that would be a really really good sports feed thank you Ella Ben who would you like to see me
1: being replaced by
3: yeah firstly I'll 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 call out those those underhand sycophant tactics from from Ella of them absolutely (laughs) just outrageous spirit of the game I mean just Sharpie like, I, lo- I love you but I mean if we're talking if, if, if we're talking to anyone in the world then I, I reckon you know question of sport he's been given the boot let's bring Phil Tufnell in he's got he's got the chat he makes everyone laugh you know he can give up Test Match Special we'll pay him more than what they do bring him in and Sharpie I love you but I mean it's got to be Phil Tufnell for me thank you Ben
1: and finally but certainly not least Harry who would you like to see me being
0: replaced by well, I think Ben's gone down a similar route to the one I had. I thought, you know, in in COVID at the moment, with you know lots of people are losing their jobs, and I thought uh, Clive Tilsley uh, seems like he's uh, in need a bit of a work, in a bit of work. Uh, he's one of my favourite voices in uh, all of football. Some real goosebumps moments over the years. So I think he'd add some some gravitas to uh, to uh, sports feed. Not that you don't bring that yourself uh, already, Sharpie. But I think
4: uh,
0: <laughs> I'd I'd throw I'd throw Clive Tilsley there. I think he'd uh, he'd be, he'd be great.
4: <laughs> can i just Sorry, respond to ben know. by the way so ben unfortunately uh we spent all, all of purple radio's uh budget on pizzas after winning the sra's last year so i don't think we can afford phil Tufnell, to be honest <laughs> but money is out of the question
3: when it comes to this question like, yeah, um, this, this is this is the world of hypotheticals here yeah, there's no yeah the, world, the world's our oyster.
4: Okay, to suck up even more, Sharpie, I'll pay you um, 100 oh, grand.
3: That's don't listen to
4: her. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ellen, that's not going to work this time.
1: Um, I'm going no. to I'm gonna have to go with ben, Ben's answer. I absolutely love Phil Tufnell. I think he's absolutely hilarious. And I thought it's a real shame he got kicked off of uh, um, the question of sports. So, Ben, you are this week's Any Other Business winner? Cheers, lads. And thank you, thank you for everyone who will hopefully listen to this. I've been Sharpie. I've been joined by Robert Morrissey, Ella Bicknell, Ben Fleming, and Harry Tanner. Arriva Dircho. Purple Radio Podcasts.
3: Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.